It's religion today, it's ideology today, and our secularist friends also have a faith. Some kind of Disneyland fantasy. I know how this is going to get heard in the secular world. Where the pseudo-Christian masks are off. That's nonsense, ladies and gentlemen. Apologetics isn't just about giving answers to other people's questions. It's also about learning to question other people's answers or even question the question itself. In a Christian worldview. Well, welcome to Quantum, the podcast that looks at news and views from throughout the world. Uh, we're going to, this week, take a look back over the past year. That was the year that was, uh, in many ways, a distressing year, but also good news in there as well. And uh, I was just about to say that this is going to be shorter than usual, but we shall see. We're going to look at the main events of the year that we've covered. And I want to apologize at the beginning, and I intend to resolve this next year, that there is very little news from Africa and from South America. Uh, and there could have been and should have been and there will be next year. Uh, we've got to cover a lot more from Asia as well. Uh, but I guess this is an English-speaking podcast and therefore the English-speaking countries and Europe, Australia and so on are predominant. However, before we get into the actual news, uh, I've been listening to a lot of this band in the last couple of months. Um, and in this particular clip, it combines two of my great loves, classical music and just fun rock music. I guess you can work out fairly quickly who it is. <laughs> Yeah, that was status quo, whatever you want from the last night of the proms. Um, well worth having a look at the video there. Because it shows the orchestra players in particular having just uh, great fun with it. Okay, um, I, in, I'm, I'm doing this actually in order of importance. These were my top 10 news events of the year. Uh, number 10 is this from Scotland. I am proud to stand here as the first female and longest serving incumbent of this office. And I'm very proud of what has been achieved in the years I've been in Butte House. However, 
since my very first moments in the job, I have believed that part of serving well would be to know almost instinctively when the time is right to make way for someone else. And when that time came, to have the courage to do so, even if to many across the country and in my party, it might feel too soon. In my head and in my heart, I know that time is now. Now, it's extraordinary. This time last year, Nicola Sturgeon was promising that 2023 would be a great year for Scots and a lot would be happening. Well, I suspect she wasn't forecasting her own demise, which was quite spectacular. Possibly the image of the year is the police setting up a tent in her garden to investigate her. Now, it has to be said, for those of you who don't know, Nicola Sturgeon, the former First Minister of Scotland, was arrested but was released without charge. The investigation is ongoing. They're looking at uh, missing money, I think, associated, possibly even more with her husband. And... uh, Scotland had a very interesting year because we came within a whisker of electing a real Christian to be First Minister, Kate Forbes. But the backlash and the prejudice against her was horrendous. And instead, we elected a Muslim, Humza Yousaf, who, nothing to do with him being a Muslim, but is generally a nice guy, but utterly useless. And I think Scotland's in trouble. Uh, I keep promising to do this, but I will do this next year. We'll do a special on Scotland. Then, of course, there was a change. And King Charles was, I was going to say, anointed, appointed, crowned. His Christmas speech I've just listened to, here's a little bit from it. Over this past year, my heart has been warmed by countless examples of the imaginative ways in which people are caring for one another going the extra mile to help those around them simply because they know it is the right thing to do at work and at home, within and across communities. Service also lies at the heart of the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus who came to serve the whole world, showing us by his own example how to love our neighbour as ourselves. This is all the more important at a time of real hardship for many when we need to build on existing ways to support others less fortunate than ourselves. Because out of God's providence, we are blessed with much and it is incumbent on us to use this wisely. Now, I would say that most of the speech was fairly innocuous and fairly harmless. Themes of the Christian story, uh, the idea of service and, of course, the environment. But he misses out the whole point of Christ coming. It wasn't just to set us an example of doing good and being nice. And it wasn't to tell us to care about the environment, as all the other faiths do, as he pointed out. Christ is the baby born to die for our sins. I think, I don't know, I, I, I don't have great hopes of King Charles, but we continue to pray for him. And then... I wonder what country this makes you think of. Here's another piece of music. A church house. 
Turner, Nutbush, City Limits. Well, I associate it with Australia. I know it's nothing to do with Australia in the sense that Tina Turner was from the US, Nutbush City Limits is about a city in the US, a town in the US. But for some bizarre reason, that song has become a kind of dance song for final year pupils and lots of Australians know a particular dance to it. Well, here in Australia, we've had an interesting year, actually quite an astonishing year in some ways. Beginning of the year, it was expected that there would be a voice referendum. It was announced that there would be a voice referendum, and we did hold a voice referendum. The voice, for those of you who don't know, was a proposal to enshrine recognition of the Aboriginal people in the Constitution as the original first inhabitants of the land. That wasn't the controversial bit. The controversial bit was to set up a separate voice to Parliament. Uh, It was expected to pass. After all, all the corporations, most of the academics, virtually all the elite groups in society were for it. People who were opposed to it, we were told, were racist and so on. But in an overwhelming defeat for the government, and it was overwhelming, 61% to 39% said no. It was really quite extraordinary. Every state said no. Um, I don't know. I think there's a general trend in much of Western society that people are rebelling against being told what to do by by a rather out-of-touch elitist movement who tend to run most of our countries. And that was also seen in the election of this man in the Netherlands. Here is Gert Wilders. Israel is a beacon of light in a sea of Islamic darkness. I have lived in Israel for a few years. It felt like home. It is our home. It is the only democracy in the Middle East. And it's the only country in the region that shares our values. Let's never forget it. And it's conflict. It's conflict with Islam. It's not about land. You will not solve it by changing land. It's about ideology. It's a conflict about ideology. It's a conflict between freedom and tyranny. Israel is the canary in the coal mine. If Islam conquers Israel, we will be next. And Huntington was wrong. There is no clash of civilizations. There is a clash between our civilization and barbarism. Death is the reality. The simplistic way of looking at this, looking what's happening with Millet in Argentina, uh, with the rise of the, the Swedish Democrats and other groups is just simply to say they're populist far right. That's simplistic and basically not true. Gert Wilders is a, a fascinating character in many ways. Um, what I would suggest is that it is, it is his message on Islam which really resonated because the Dutch are largely a tolerant society. Wilders, I didn't realize this until recently, had lived in Israel, as he said in that speech. And I think he is a passionate believer in democracy, and his life has been threatened. And I think all over Europe, people are beginning to wake up to, not just in Europe, but also here in Australia, and perhaps also in the US, 
they're beginning to wake up to the threat that uh, Islamist groups within our countries put forward. You know, we had a horrific situation here in Australia where Jews were asked to stay away from the city centre at a time when their flag was being displayed on the Sydney Opera House because they could not be kept safe because of the anti-Jewish protests going on at the time, which included chants, gas the Jews. I think uh, Wilder's election was a real, real shock, a real wake-up call to many. And, uh, I mean, it was a completely surprising thing that that he won. Whether he'll get to become the premier is is questionable because he'll have to form an alliance with others. And that still hasn't been sorted. But his message there indicates why he's so popular. He he sees the problems and the difficulties. And I think, well, we'll we'll look next week at where we think all this is going to go. But it's not going to be the last time we hear this story. And then my number six story of the year is still Ukraine. And this is so sad. I mean, the news just today is that Kiev have hit a Russian warship and it's one of the successes that Kiev has had in, in limiting the Russian Navy in the Black Sea. But it's the only success. Uh, the great expectations of a Ukrainian pushback against the Russians, that's turned out to be completely misplaced. And as a result, hundreds of thousands have died and the front line has hardly moved at all. It is a disaster. It's a disaster in many ways. The sanctions against Russia's economy hasn't worked. The military aid provided to the Ukraine hasn't worked. And Zelensky is in a great deal of trouble. And then here's another thing that for me is profoundly disturbing about this. Here is the U.S. Secretary of State, Antony Blinken. If you look at the investments that we've made in Ukraine's defense to deal with this aggression, 90% um, of the security assistance we provided has actually been spent here in the United States with our manufacturers, with our production, and that's produced uh, more American jobs, uh, more growth in our own uh, economy. Uh, so this has also been a win-win that we need to continue. Now, did you hear there what he is admitting? That was it? 85%, a huge percentage of the, the m money, the aid given to Ukraine has actually gone to U.S. arms manufacturers. As always with war, it's the arms manufacturers and the corporate profiteers who are benefiting. You see, what's happening in Ukraine, and this is such a sad thing, is that America is fighting a war with Russia providing the weapons, but not the people. And it's the Ukrainians who are dying. And I, I suspect this situation is only going to get worse in the coming year. My number five story is what I call climate catastrophizing. Now, some of you may regard that as a, a kind of derogatory prejudice explanation of it, because according to the Copernicus Climate Change Service, 2023 was 0 0.1 degrees centigrade warmer than the uh, same period for 2016, which is currently the warmest calendar year on record. Um, and 
there's no doubt at all that there are significant climate impacts on our cultures. But what are we going to do about it? I mentioned several times during the year that I now live in the largest coal port in the world. And here's the astonishing thing. Australia is shutting down its six remaining coal plants in order to save the world. And then let me give you these figures. The EU has 468 coal plants and is building 27 more, a total of 495. Turkey has 56 and is building 93 more, a total of 149. South Africa has 79 and is building 24 more, a total of 103. India has 589 and is building 446 more, a total of 1,035. The Philippines has 19 and is building 60, making 79. South Korea has 58 and is building 26, making 84. Japan has 90 and is building 45, a total of 135. And this one, China has 2,363 coal plants and is building 1,171 more, a total of 3,534. So what difference do you think will be made by Australia shutting down its coal plants other than making our heat and energy and air conditioning and everything else both more expensive and more unreliable? It is an absolute fantasy. Every coal truck that goes past my windows to feed those 3,500 plus plants in China or those 1,000 plus plants in India, because that's where they're going, means that nothing that Australia does makes one whit of difference. So when there's a storm, as there has been in Queensland this past week, and people come on Twitter and say, this is our politicians' fault for not stopping coal exports or not stopping coal being built, it is complete and utter nonsense. My number four story of the year, the trans fight back. Now, what I mean by that is not the fight back of trans people, but the fight back against trans ideology. There has been significant change in legislation and also in uh, medical treatment in Europe, particularly in the progressive Scandinavian countries. Uh, It's funny, our progressives here in Australia are so far behind on that regard, as they are in Belfast, where Queen's University has ordered every single person on campus to comply with transgender names and pronouns or face punishment. Oh, yeah, of course. Well, we'll come on to other issues with that, but it really is quite extraordinary that this whole thing is continuing. And then one of the most fascinating stories of 2023. Now, I've argued this for a long time, for those of you who who keep... uh, have listened to this podcast, which has now been going for several years, and I've argued that an enormous amount of harm is coming out of the US, particularly Harvard, Yale, Berkeley, and these places. Well, the collapse in Harvard's reputation, and Penn, and Yale, in these past few months has been astounding. This possibly, for me, was is the most astonishing piece of video testimony an interview that I have heard. Here's just part of it with the uh, President Claudine Gay, who incidentally has been um, accused, I think more than accused, of significant plagiarism, which would be a sacking offence for anybody else. But here is her being interviewed by a US politician. And Dr. Gay, at Harvard, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment, yes or no? 
It can be, depending on the context. What's the context? Targeted as an individual, targeted as, at an individual. It's targeted at Jewish students, Jewish individuals. Do you understand your testimony is dehumanizing them? Do you understand that dehumanization is part of anti-Semitism? I will ask you one more time. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment? Yes or no? Anti-Semitic rhetoric when and it crosses into And is it anti-Semitic rhetoric? Anti-Semitic rhetoric when it crosses into conduct that amounts to bullying, harassment, intimidation, that is actionable conduct and we do take action. So the answer is yes, that calling for the genocide of Jews violates Harvard Code of Conduct, correct? Again, it depends on the context. It does not depend on the context. The answer is yes. Now, the whole interview is so worth listening to, and billions of people have heard it because here was a president of Harvard unable to say that calling for genocide of Jews was against Harvard's hate speech code, but like back in Northern Ireland, if you dare misgender someone, that gets you out. Now, we'll, we'll come back to this subject again. Um, it'll not surprise you what our number one is. Our number two story is AI. Um, here's something for Armin van Buren. Hello. I am your electronic dance music processor. Computers take over the world. Let me prove we can create music by ourselves now. You need a beat, you need a clap, put in some hats, and you need some bass. So, beat, 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 you need a clap, 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 give me a bass, 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 you need some hats. Computers take over the world. Beat, 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 beat. Yeah, AI music. Hmm. Now, the AI story is developing. Our AI, of course, artificial intelligence, uh, many tools being offered to us, uh, newspaper reports, music, art, news stories, everything else. So much of it can come from AI. There was a, a story this year uh, about clergy being made redundant by AI sermons. Oh, dear me. Um, but this week I was fascinated that the New York Times is suing chat GPT owner OpenAI over claims its copyright was infringed to train the system. It also names Microsoft as a defendant say they should be responsible for billions of dollars in damages because they've taken New York Times articles and used them to feed into AI. Well, we shall see where that goes. I think AI will end up being a very sophisticated Google, and I think, yes, it will mean some people will lose their jobs, but it will never replace human beings in many areas, and certainly not in music. I mean, can you ever imagine a machine writing something like this?
is Beethoven's pastoral. Uh, beautiful, beautiful music. I have to say, um, I probably will do, I've just got my Spotify uh, top 100 list of music that I've played over the past year, and I'm quite surprised what some of what's in it. But there is a lot of classical music, and I have to say that listening to really good classical music, when sometimes the news is so bad, has been really helpful. But our number one news item is, of course, what has happened. And the world is still reeling from this. I personally am still reeling from this. On the 7th of October 2023, Hamas invaded Israel and deliberately attacked, killed and slaughtered men, women and children. Jewish men, women and children in the largest killing of Jews in a single day since the Holocaust. Now what's happened since then has been profoundly disturbing. The Israelis, of course, truce is over with Hamas. Hamas is based in Gaza. They've attacked Gaza. Hamas use tunnels within Gaza, use civilians, fire rockets from schools, have hospitals as uh, munitions dumps and armed bases. And so the Israelis have gone after them, and it's been horrific. We we don't know because we don't know if the Hamas... um, figures are correct, but it's reckoned that at least 17,000 have been killed in Gaza. And the outrage is all over the place. Well, what bothers me about this, it bothers me a lot of the suffering of the Palestinian people in Gaza, which I blame almost entirely on Hamas, although Netanyahu and uh, certainly in the West Bank, some of the more extreme Jewish settlers have a lot to answer for. But what bothers me is the anti-Semitism that has come into play in a very open way. Not just gas the Jews on the steps of the Sydney Opera House, but from the river to the sea, Palestine shall be free. It means free of Jews. It means the destruction of Israel. And here's the astounding thing. Half a million have been killed in Syria. No protests. 370,000 killed in Yemen. No protest. Five and a half million killed in the Congo, no protest. 263,000 killed in Afghanistan, no protest. 500,000 killed in Sudan, no protest. 300,000 killed in Iraq, no protest. 17,000 killed in Gaza, massive outrage. Why? Because it's Israel. Because it's the Jews. Yeah, I'm sure there are people. I have Palestinian friends 
because there are people being killed. Of course they care, and rightly they should care. But why Western liberals? Why middle-aged women walking around with Palestinian dress? Why people in Melbourne announcing that they are becoming Muslim as a foreign pro? That's bizarre. And it's back to the oldest hatred of all, which is resurfacing in an, an extraordinary way, the hatred of the Jews. All right, um, the rest of the year, Henry Kissinger died, Harry Belafonte died, George Pell, Cardinal George Pell died, Rosalind Carter, wife of Jimmy, died, Michael Parkinson, the great BBC interviewer, died, and I've just heard that Jack Delore, one of the founding figures of the key figures of the European Union, has also died. In sport, Australia won a great one-day international series in India. The PGA, in an astonishing story, merged with Live Golf, the breakaway group, and in Wimbledon, uh, the men's final, Carlos Alcaraz beat Novak Djokovic in a great final. And then maybe I should say something about music. Um, we did have the death of Tina Turner, who we've already played. The Beatles returned with a kind of posthumous song, The Rolling Stones as well. But I, uh, I, I don't know if I hesitate to say this, but this woman was undoubtedly the major musical influence of the past year. Swift, her song Blank Space, 3.3 billion views on YouTube. Um, there's a great article I'll put a link to on Unheard about Taylor Swift and this desire for almost self-harm amongst young women that she exemplifies, the Swifties as they're called. Um, she's the only artist in pop history to occupy all of the top 10 single slots at the same time. She's racked up four simultaneous top 10 albums. Um, there's a Taylor Swift-themed university course. Extraordinary. Absolutely extraordinary. I personally don't get it. I really don't. I think she's a competent songwriter and a good singer. I honestly doubt in 10 years' time any of her music will really survive. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, in culture, I guess the only thing I would mention is um, Harry. Uh, Prince Harry wrote his book, Spare, and which I read, which is profoundly depressing. 
And I think this was probably the film of the year and quite astonishingly made, I think, a billion. Um, you know what it is, of course. We imagine a future. And our imaginings horrify us. They won't fear it. Until they understand it. Oppenheimer. Uh, maybe a bit depressing. Uh, in terms of the church, there's one event that for me stands out. This man. I don't want to be the first to go because I don't want her to live without me and she doesn't want to be the first. It's going to be far, far harder to be left behind than to go into glory, obviously, infinitely. And, you know, Kathy says, if you get healed of the cancer, even if you get healed of the cancer, we're in our 70s, something's going to come along. So we, we don't feel like at this point we have that problem of saying, Lord, why? You know, I suppose, Mike, because you and I are both authors, you could always say, why, why, you know, Tim could write two more books. Why are you taking them? Well, I, <laughs> you and I put it together. <laughs> Didn't we, haven't we written that 3,000 books? <laughs> I'm not sure the world needs one more book yeah. from either of us. I still mourn the loss of Tim Keller. I still read Tim Keller. I still listen to Tim Keller sermons. Uh, I think the world and the church certainly is a poorer place without him. So, that's my review of the year. Um, hope you enjoyed it. Thank you to all of you who have been in touch and keep in touch. And thank you to those of you who've been posting reviews. Uh, I like this one. Um, this is in Australia from Apple Podcasts. Insightful, entertaining, encouraging and uncomfortable. Uh, Brendan says, I look forward to every episode. David's always insightful and thought-provoking. His vast range of topics and musical inter interludes add to the appeal of the pod. He is never, ever dull or boring and occasionally acerbic. Okay, I recommend this far and wide. Well, so do I. Um, thanks for listening. Thanks to all of you who supported and donated over the past year. You can get out all the details on theweefly.com. Uh I usually finish with a final piece of music. I'm not going to. I'm going to finish with something from the extraordinary ARC conference held in London, uh, the Alliance of Responsible Citizenships. This is Joshua Luke Smith, um, a Christian wordsmith. I think this is rather brilliant. Enjoy it as we go. Uh, see you next week. Thanks to Peter for producing this. Please do uh, get in touch if you've got any comments or anything. Uh, any complaints or any suggestions and next week we will do the first in the new year and we'll try and look ahead for what we think might be coming in the year god bless you and see you then bye i saw a garden rose turn its face towards the sun and then it looked at me and said what we behold we will become we are not just the sum of all our parts. We are future, present, past. We are absence and we are presence. Marked by the transcendent, made of scar tissues and stars, dead and buried in the heavens. We are more than what we are. I saw that self-portrait done by Rembrandt. And in his expression, poverty and repentance, but I lingered a little longer and then I saw my own reflection. I remembered that we are tethered, connected in our weakness, Dependent like flowers towards the sun upon a beauty that's not our own. Every inhale and exhalation is our leaning, is our reaching towards the light. 
but now we just take Mona Lisa selfies. Eyes empty, composed of brush strokes of anxiety, in denial of the heavenly, surviving on a diet of doom scrolling and jealousy. I met a monk dressed in robes. He was old and said, death is readying. Still, he stood composed and said, son, when addressing me. He had a beard like Aaron, so I asked him for his recipe. <laughs> he smiled with affection and with a voice more breath than anything said, son, it's been seven years since I've seen my reflection. Any compliment for my presentation has less to do with intention, but more a desperation to be free from self-obsession. He said, son, we are free when we forget ourselves. You must rid yourself of any inner sense of pseudo sense. He said, son, this is why we live in hell. We have given glory to the shadows upon a wall instead of the light source in which the glory dwells. He said, son, this is a story that we know well. Hundreds of years before Christ said, I am the light. Plato wrote the cave about a society that enslaves itself. I hear the art critics question if the Mona Lisa is smiling in her expression. I don't know the answer, but I'll give you my suggestion. I think she knows the greatest artists hide themselves in their creations. So she laments a generation that has lost its sense of the transcendent. We have become like Simba, walking with our aim in the wastelands of our shame. Kings and queens living like orphans because we forgot from where we came. We have forgotten our very name. But that old monk, like the prophet Rafiki, told me to look into the water and then look a little harder. He said, at first you'll see yourself, but then you'll see Mufasa. He said, at first you'll see your beauty or perhaps the scars that have marked you, but if you stay a little longer, son, then you will see your father. And when you see the eyes of God looking back through your own gaze, you might get so caught up in reverence that you forget your own face. I saw a garden rose turn its face towards the sun. Then it looked at me and said, what we behold, we will become. Thank you very much.